how we as Christians navigate through storms can be such a powerful witness. Do we look like those who don't have Jesus in the boat? Are we able to point to God's promises in the past? Your future is secured. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. If you have been worshiping with us during the month of July, you know that as a church family, we have been studying Paul's letter to the Galatians. And each week we've been powerfully reminded that the gospel has the power to save completely. That the gospel breaks down walls of hypocrisy. That because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us, we are freed from the slavery of performance. And last week, that through the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into his family. This morning, we turn our attention and direction to another passage, which gives us a very powerful look at how to live in the power of the gospel, a very practical and powerful way. So as we prepare to read God's word, please pray with me. Gracious God, we know that these are your words written by the inspiration of your spirit. And certainly only you can use them to change us, transform us, to calm us. And so we ask that our, you would open the eyes of our heart, that we may commune with you through your word and by your spirit, and leave here more devoted disciples of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading can be found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. And if you are using a pew Bible, I invite you to join in at page uh, 1606. 1606. And we begin at verse 22. Listen now to the word of God. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he, Jesus, fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the wage, raging waters and the storm subsided. All was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. In the early 1900s, there was a famous engineer who worked for General Electric. His name was Charles Steinmetz, 
And he was known as a legend in engineering circles. He was known as the one who could fix almost anything. Charles spent most of his career working for GE, and when he retired, they actually built a house for him next to their Schenectady, New York plant to keep him on retainer so that they could call him back in when they had problems. On one such day, this is in the early 1900s, they were working on a large project and they called Steinmetz in. And as the story goes, he walked into a room filled with equipment and he stood silently and listened for about 10 minutes. And then he walked over to one area, picked a piece of chalk out of his pocket and drew an X and left. Well, the engineers quickly scurried over to that place, disassembled the equipment, and sure enough, found the problem and fixed it. A week later, GE received a bill from Steinmetz for $10,000. That was a lot of money. So they wrote to him and said, Charles, that's a lot of money. Can you itemize this invoice for us? And he responded with two lines. Making one chalk mark, one dollar. Knowing where to put it, $9,999. Now, I chose this story as an illustration because I believe Jesus tells us in this scripture something of such great importance. It's as if he makes a mark on the heart of the matter. So let's see what these four short verses have to teach us this morning. Three of the four Gospels include this account of Jesus calming the storm, and each one places Jesus in the midst of very busy days. If you glance in your Bibles, he is teaching and preaching. He is in a healing ministry, which involves raising people from the dead. Word is getting out about these miracles and about his teaching, and crowds are gathering. These are busy times. And then there's the group that's been in control, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're taking notice too. His claims, his unorthodox methods, they're asking troubling questions. And all of this is the backdrop for Jesus calling his disciples. And we notice there was no separate training program for these disciples where Jesus called these men who would work closely with him and he would pour into. And there was no, okay, here's the four-week plan. We're going to head over here and work on this ministry and then we're going to work on... No. It was complete on-the-job training. And so that's the context for this story. And our passage opens with Jesus and his disciples boarding a sailboat to the other side of the lake. The Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide and 13 miles long, and they would have been in a boat, probably a fisherman's boat, one that Peter, James, and John were very accustomed with. And we're told in the next verse that they're sailing along and a squall comes up. Matthew calls it a furious squall, and he adds that there was no notice. Mark adds that it is lapping water on the boat, and they are in great danger. 
And the word used for squall is translated literally as shaking, and it's the word we get seismograph from. So we have every indication that this was a hurricane. So Jesus and these experienced fishermen are probably in a hurricane. Nightfall is transitioning to darkness. There is no radio. There is no radar, no navigation system. And Jesus, we are told, is asleep. The disciples cry out, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Matthew says, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And Mark's gospel says, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? With the storm howling and the wind and the waves crashing over the boat, it was being tossed about like cork on water. Who in the world could possibly sleep in the middle of a violent storm? Perhaps only one who has complete confidence in his Father's care. Only one who knows he is perfectly safe in the hands of of the creator of the world. And what does the scripture say that Jesus does? He gets up, he rebukes the wind and the waves, and the storm subsides. All is calm. Only after the panic is over, Jesus responds to his disciples with a simple question. Where is your faith? They had just experienced the storm of their life, and in one moment, the Son of Man reveals himself as the Son of God. And they are an up-close and personal witness to the demonstration of his power. Our passage ends with them stunned, fear and amazement, looking at each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This passage is about the storms of life and the trials of faith. Nothing can make a person feel more helpless than standing in the middle of a massive storm. There is no greater symbol of destructive chaos than a hurricane at sea. Ancient writers in the pagan world often wrote about gods who ruled the sea and created hellacious storms that wreaked havoc on sailors and fishermen. But here, the gospel writers say, Jesus, Jesus is Lord of the storm, the one who has the power to rebuke it with a single phrase, peace, be still. The author of Hebrews writes, he sustains all things by his powerful word. The storms in our life often come without warning, don't they? Their presence can be so debilitating, so disorienting, bringing pain, often confusion, and heartache. In one moment, our circumstances appear so stable. Life is good. Things seem so established. And in the next, 
we find ourselves in the middle of a hurricane and our lives and all that is familiar are turned upside down. Our initial response in the midst of a storm, in the midst of crisis, may be, Lord, don't you care that I'm drowning? Where are you? How in the world could you let this happen? Are you asleep? Don't you love me? Right here, with these questions and this posture of heart, we turn our attention in Christ's direction. In our passage, what one question does he ask his disciples? One question. Where is your faith? Jesus' main concern is not their well-being. He knows that's been secured. It's their faith. These disciples had seen him perform a multitude of miracles. He cast out demons in their presence. He fed the thousands with a little boy's lunch. He raised the dead. And yet, when faced with daunting circumstances where they were literally over their head and could not see the way out, their faith had wavered. Faith is a curious thing. The writer of Hebrews defines faith as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. Being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we cannot see. And then it follows this amazing list of impressive people, not because of what they had done, but these were men and women who trusted in God beyond their circumstances, beyond their ability to see the outcome. That's what the writer of Hebrews records for us, not all that they did. What does Jesus value? Unshakable, unwavering faith at all costs. The storms of life have a way of unmasking the emotions of the heart. Back in December of 2000, my husband Todd and I found ourselves sitting numbly in a surgeon's office trying to prepare ourselves for news we were dreading. You see, a week prior to that, I'd had a surgery, a lumpectomy, and I'd heard the words, we think we caught this early. But without notice, we were called back in quickly. And we heard the words, we didn't get it all, and we no longer think we caught it early. At 36 years old, I was unprepared for this storm. In times of crisis, it can feel like we're free-falling and you begin to question everything you know to be true. Now fast forward a few days. This is days before Christmas. Our living room was filled with many precious people, many of them our members here, who came to pray with us before the big surgery the next morning and brought food. 
It was a memory I'll always remember and hold dear. But at the end of our prayer time, one very precious prayer warrior said, And Lord, we relinquish this outcome to you. My eyes popped open and I said, Hold on, Lord, in my heart. We're not relinquishing any outcome. We're praying for healing. You see, that storm brought about a crisis of faith in me. Who was I going to believe in? What I could figure out? My education, my family, my background, my resources? The medical report, which didn't look very good? Or was I going to believe and trust in the ruler of the universe who says, all the days ordained for you are written in my book before one of them comes to be? Who can separate you from the love of Christ? And I could hear in my heart, where is your faith? There is a strong connection between the two questions that this passage gives us. Where is your faith? And the disciples' question, who is this? I was unprepared to answer, where is your faith? Because I did not know God as rescuer, deliverer, savior the one who saves. God's word became my trusted companion in those weeks and months to follow through surgery and treatment. They served me like buoys in the ocean, guiding and directing me. And often there was course correction. The word of God would be a course of correction when I was tempted to fear. God as rescuer. We must each know him that way. He does not call on us to rely on a mother's faith or a grandfather's faith. We each must know him as God as rescuer. When a storm hits, we have two choices. We can either tighten our grip on the helm holding tighter to the things of this world. Or we can allow Jesus to be Lord of the storm, knowing God as rescuer, trusting in the outcome beyond what you're able to see. Jesus says, if you take refuge in me, there's not a thing on the face of this earth that will sweep you away. Do you believe that? Storms often strengthen our resolve and move us from kind of a squishy, lackluster faith to a solid faith based on a person. And that person is Jesus Christ because Jesus is in the boat. The clouds did not part and the voice of God shaming the disciples saying, where is your faith? No, Jesus is in the boat. As Christians, we sometimes get the idea that we are exempt from life storms and that our life in Christ will be tranquil waters 
and we actually are surprised when trials come our way. But remember Jesus' words in John's Gospel. Turn to the person on your left and say, in this world you will have trouble. Go ahead. And turn to the person on your right and say, but be of good cheer, Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus is in the boat (laughs) through the storms of your life, and he has secured your destination. Now, perhaps you are in the middle of a storm right now that's so horrific that these words are finding little place in your heart for solace. I want to share with you one more thing about biblical faith. When you are tempted to project your fear into the future, onto the future, and play the what-if game, biblical faith calls us to look back and rely on the promises God has made in the past. If you cannot seem to trust him as God as rescuer for your future, where has he rescued you already? Where has he delivered you from? Start there. That's the way he is navigating the boat. Your storms are not by accident. My storms are not by accident. The trials of faith in the midst of storm, you see Jesus values faith that's been tested. James says when you face trials of many kinds, rejoice. Consider it all joy because we know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete lacking in nothing. We're on a journey. The destination is secure. The storms, Genesis 3 tells us, are certain. Every person we will meet this week will be facing some storm. We know that. That's the kingdom that we live in at at the moment. But Jesus when he would demonstrate his miraculous powers, was demonstrating the new kingdom. He says, I've come from a place, and this is how it works. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And the way we move through this kingdom is with unwaverable, unshakable faith. If you are in Christ, you have a new address. Your lives are now hidden in Christ with God. As we close, a a last story to share with you. Recently, my husband was in the Boundary Waters kayaking with friends, and they were in uncharted territory for them, and they had veered off just slightly. terrific storm came up and here they are in these very lightweight boats just a few of them fortunately they saw a tiny little place in between giant rocks and they were able to just fit their kayaks in just enough one in front of the other 
they were able to see the storm completely pass by. They were there about an hour and a half. I think that is a wonderful illustration of our lives hidden in Christ through the storm. Why this passage at this time in our church family? Well, you know, the things the, whole, the, things the church holds dear, namely the person and work of Christ, are growing increasingly and increasingly irrelevant to the world. How we as Christians navigate through storms can be such a powerful witness. Do we look like those who don't have Jesus in the boat? Are we able to point to God's promises in the past? Your future is secured. How can you trust Jesus? Because on one dark and dreary day, he faced the fiercest storm. He was abandoned by his father. So we will never be abandoned. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are Lord of the storm and that you've ushered in a new kingdom. Father, thank you for calling your disciples. We even thank you for the storm. May it drive us further into your embrace. And may we, with unwaving and unshakable faith, be a witness that you are the rescuer, the great deliverer. How we thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hi, my name is Richard Gibbons. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian. If you are wondering what First Presbyterian Church is like, one of the things you will discover is that each time you come, you will receive a very warm welcome. I have the pleasure of assisting with a number of ministries here at this church. I teach five new member classes a year, also help to lead mission trips to the Dominican Republic, and uh, we at this church do a number of things that impact our community. It's a wonderful place to serve. It's a wonderful place to belong. My main responsibilities include family ministries, which is marriage, men's ministry, and young adults. I also have the joy of serving the night worship service. My passion here at the church is to point others to the love and grace found in Jesus Christ. My particular job is in education, uh, whether it's adult education or youth or children. I have something to do with it uh, and would love to talk with you at any time about the things that you can learn from the Bible in our education courses here at First Presbyterian Church. Congregational care covers a lot of ground in a, a church like ours. Essentially, we believe that uh, the mission of the church is to care for one another uh, as well as to outreach in the community. So our desire is to provide for the spiritual, emotional, and physical care of the members of our congregation and extend that also to the needs of our community. I'm Tina Jones. I'm the director of the children's ministry here at First Presbyterian. Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have a very vibrant children's ministry. When you come on a Sunday morning, your children have not just childcare, we also offer ministry. One of the amazing things about First Presbyterian is our location. 
we are situated at the heart of Greenville, a growing and vibrant city. Everything from children's ministry and youth ministry to a prayer ministry and being very active in the community gives us an opportunity to spread and share the love of Christ. If you are looking for a Sunday morning experience that is engaging, vibrant and life transforming, please come and join us.